1: I just do, you know, a little shoulder shrug whenever I think of Victor Oladipo's voice. It's like, mm, R&B music, you know?
2: Welcome to Spinsters, the podcast where we wouldn't trade each other for the world. I'm Haley O'Shaughnessy. I'm a recovering basketball writer. I'm Jordan Liggins. I'm an editor at Mojo.
1: What are we doing today, Haley?
2: I'm so excited, Jordan. We have a story about trades coming to us from Katie Heindel, and it is definitely not any of the trade stuff you read over the weekend.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm glad you brought that up because one trade that I have not been able to get out of my mind is the Victor Oladipo trade. Houston traded him to Miami for Avery Bradley and Kelly Olynyk. which honestly, <laughs> Avery Bradley and Kelly are just crying right now. They're like, Why
2: do we have to go to this Houston team? (laughs) That is so bad. Can you imagine being on the end of like a horrible trade and years from now, you're going to have to be on a list of like top 10 worst Houston Rockets trades and you just have to be involved (laughs) in that forever. And maybe this will just be a combination of the entire like what they ultimately got from trading James Harden because this is Mm -hmm. the fallout from that. But yeah, this is like, I'm worried about our friends who are Houston Rockets fans. I'm worried about Houston, worried about their coach. I'm worried about their players, but I'm pretty happy for Miami. Yeah. And you know, at least Houston
1: has Beyonce, so they're still winning regardless. (laughs) But it really made me think about, what happens after this? Because for that trade specifically, Victor Oladipo, you were in Indiana, you know, you get traded. Do you sell your home? Do you buy a home in Houston? Were you thinking you were going to be there long term? Now you're going to Miami, you have to find a new grocery store, new friends. I think there's a lot of real estate questions here, but also just life questions. What happens behind the scenes of a trade? Like what happens next?
2: That's actually why Katie brought us this story today, because she's someone who thinks about what is going on behind the scenes and more importantly, what are the players feeling and what is this like for them? Katie is a basketball writer and writes in a way that is very new and refreshing. She co-hosts many podcasts, including the wonderful Dishes and Dimes podcast. Shout out to those women and we are extremely lucky to call her a friend of the show. Welcome to the show, Katie.
3: Thanks so much for
2: having me. So in the days after the trade deadline, I couldn't stop thinking about how quickly we digest it and the ways we digest it. You're reading what fans say on Twitter and what bloggers say and columnists say, and is it a good fit, is it a bad fit? It feels very rushed for the players. I think
3: it's like, it's so speculative online. You know, it's like 24 seven discourse. We just talk, we are like, oh, you know, I saw this one coming and it isn't a surprise, blah, blah, blah. And like, I think with how accelerated the news can be around a trade, we lose a lot of the time, the feeling of what it's like for a player and like the actuality of how this impacts their lives.
2: We're always talking about on-court fit and not any other context about whether it would be good or bad for the player.
3: Encore fit or like sal like weird salary matching stuff, you know, like making a player basically just work them out to like their monetary value, which is weird and gross too.
2: <laughs> I can't imagine seeing someone on Twitter being like, "Man, Haley doesn't deserve to be paid. That's not her value." <laughs>
3: Yeah, it's like it makes everyone super weird and gross and an expert at the same time. And I think, you know, for the player specifically involved in that trade, we don't think that it kind of kicks off this like sudden and really complicated process that stays totally invisible to us as observers on the outside. So I talked to three players about this, specifically what those 24 to 72 hours are like after you're traded unexpectedly. And then what ends up staying with you forever
2: okay let's get into it
4: with the 12th pick in the 2000 nba draft the dallas mavericks select etan thomas from syracuse university
3: so etan thomas was drafted by the mavs in 2000 he went 12th but he never played a game with them and he was traded to the washington wizards in 2001 He spent the next seven seasons with the Wizards, uh, and in summer 2009, he was looking forward to some off-season training at the team's big man camp.
0: I was going up to the Verizon Center uh, to speak with Ernie Grunfeld, and they would send us, send the big man to big man camp down at IMG. So I was going up there to talk to him about that. I wasn't really sure if they were doing it that summer or not. So I'm in his office. Looking him right in his eyes <laughs> and he's saying, yeah, we're definitely going to do that. And we're looking forward to next year. And, um, you know, what, what you've been doing with the, what they do down there at the big man camp has been really great and beneficial. So he said, well, I'll let you know. And um, so then I walked out uh, and, and, it, and it's interesting because I remember, I'm recalling it when I walked by um, Milt Newton. He was one of the assistants there and he didn't look me in the eye.
3: Then leaves the facility. And again, it's all business as usual. He's been there seven years at this point.
0: Now, I didn't I didn't think about that until afterwards, but I remember it then when I walked out. So I'm leaving and, um, you know, I go get to my car and I'm, I'm driving home. And so I didn't even get off route 50 yet. And then my agent called me and said, the Wizards traded you. And I was like, are you serious? I was like, I was just in the office like 15 minutes ago. Talking to Ernie Grunfeld, why he didn't just tell me then? And I was like, all right. So I had to turn around, U turn, go back to, to the wizard's office, go back to Ernie Grunfeld's office. And I guess he just acted like the whole conversation that we just had 15 minutes ago never happened.
3: With Etan, the most surprising thing to me was the proximity and the immediacy that followed. You know, like he was right there looking Ernie Grunfeld in his eyes. And the guy was still going through this long, like totally fake plan of Etan going to this training camp.
2: Yeah. And what was he trying to avoid? An awkward 10 second conversation that just feels so unfair and kind of cowardly? Super cowardly. And I think, you know, if a, if a guy like
3: a ton, maybe he has a feeling. You know, he said he, he later, you know, maybe he, he kind of knew just the way that people were handling themselves. But even if they have a gut feeling or they hear something, none of it really changes the impact of something just going from possibility to reality, sometimes in the blink of an eye. And so the reality is that, you know, we have no idea of the conversations that go on behind closed doors leading up to a trade. But after talking to these guys, I got a window into some of those closed door conversations. One trade situation that's always seemed pretty fraught to me is the draft night trade. You know, this happens to guys who are already stressed about the draft itself.
5: The most nervous I was in the whole draft process was the day I had to decide whether or not to go back to school or stay in the draft. That night for me was really tough. Like I didn't really get much sleep that night just because like the position I was in, it wasn't a guarantee that I would get drafted.
3: That's Isaiah Roby. He's a second-year player in the league, and he's an example of that kind of hopeful rookie who gets picked by a team. And then by the time he's gone up on stage, had that oversized hat plonked on his head, and shaking Adam Silver's hand, he's already been traded to a completely different team than the one that picked him.
5: On draft night, I really had like a 20 pick window that I thought that I could go in. So, you know, it was going to be a long stressful night. And um, my agent actually told me, he called me pretty early on in the draft. It was like, I'm pretty sure Dallas is going to take you with, um, I think it was at the time, I think it was like the 37th pick or whatever they had originally. And so once he told me that, I was like, cool, like, you know, I'll either go 37 or, or or lower. So I was, you know, after that, the stress was gone. I'm like, man, this is it's really gonna happen.
3: So then, right before it was time for Dallas's pick, Dallas ended up trading their pick to Detroit. And this is where it all gets pretty weird and convoluted. Dallas effectively drafted Devedis Savitas for Detroit while also moving back in the draft order to 45th. But to Isaiah, who's just waiting there, none of this backroom stuff is all that clear.
5: And so we are all kind of sitting there like, man, like now, you know, now there's not many teams that I've talked to in this in this range now. So like now it started to get scary.
0: With the 45th pick in the 2019 NBA draft, the Detroit Pistons select Isaiah Roby from the University of Nebraska.
2: So Detroit traded with Dallas and essentially Detroit drafted Isaiah, but it was actually Dallas who drafted for him? Yes. Okay. And all the while, Isaiah has no idea what's going on. Exactly. So, these are two of the players we'll be focusing
3: on, Isaiah with the stressful draft night trade and Atan with the shocking mid-career move. But then, we'll look at a third type of trade too, a player in between those who was traded after a couple seasons.
4: My name is Matt Bonner, born and raised in Concord, New Hampshire, and I went to the University of Florida. Go Gators!
3: In 2006, Matt had spent two years with the Raptors. It was the off season and he was golfing with his buddies back home in New Hampshire.
4: I think I just hit a ball into the pond, which is par for the course when I'm on, when I'm golfing, no pun intended. And I get a call on my, you know, Zach Morris cell phone, cause it's before iPhones and smartphones and all that. And it was my agent and he and he tells me, hey, you got traded. And my initial reaction was like, oh man, are you kidding me? Like I love playing for the Raptors. And then his next sentence was, you're going to the San Antonio Spurs. And then I immediately was like, oh, well at least I'm going to like one of the best organizations in all of professional sports. So I was pretty excited. And uh, I remember, you know, my buddies like, like, you know, what, what are you doing? You're going to hit again or what? And I'm like, I just got traded. And they were all like, okay, cool. But are you going to hit again? You know, like <laughs> we were trying to golf here.
3: Right, so those are just the trades this moment stopped in time for these guys. All of them have pretty photographic memories of the moment that they were traded, whether it was driving out Route 50, sitting on the draft room floor, or golfing with some friends. But what happens after, when the rest of the world comes back into focus and the whole velocity of a trade, like the process of moving from City A to B, catches
4: up? My trade happened in the summer, so it was the off-season. I was young and single. So I didn't have like a wife or kids that, that had to deal with that situation. I didn't own a house in, in Toronto. Uh, so I really had no strings attached on a logistical basis, which I think helps reduce the stress of getting traded.
3: But if you're not like Matt and you've got kids in a house like Aton did, it's much different.
0: So you have to immediately start thinking, okay, where are your children gonna go to school in this new place? Where are you gonna, you know, everything, you have to uproot your life and it all happens quick.
3: Atan had been traded from the Wizards to the Thunder. OKC's player development person at the time immediately contacted his wife and started to help them make plans for the move, connecting them to local people to help them with all the logistics.
0: You know, I've talked to guys and seen guys that have been traded in the middle of the season to the team. And they come there basically with like a suitcase, you know, what I mean? like they have nothing. They're sitting in a suitcase and they're, they're, they're just there in the new place. They have no car because their car's not there yet. They don't have any, they're just just there, Um, you know, at a hotel and they're trying to figure it out from there.
3: This is pretty much where Isaiah Roby found himself after being drafted by Dallas. He said it wasn't that he felt lost, but he definitely could have used a little bit more
2: guidance from the team. What do you mean more guidance specifically?
3: Well, he didn't get a press conference because he was Dallas's only draft pick and he didn't get flown down right away and introduced around to his teammates, team staff, kind of anybody. And when he did get there, he was in a hotel for a while.
2: Oh, that's so tough, especially after a summer traveling around doing workouts for teams. Yeah, he was pretty over hotels at that point.
5: I had some, I had like one or two suits throughout the season and they were pretty bad. Like they didn't really fit me that perfect. (laughs) And uh, so one of my teammates from Dallas actually like it's kind of like a backhanded compliment, kind of like gave me some gift cards and was like, go to this, you know, go to this guy, he'll help you out, help you get help you get a good suit. So I was I was buying a suit and my agent texted me. He just texted me, call me ASAP. And uh, and he was like, you know, you're gonna end up in a really good situation, but Dallas is trading you to Oklahoma City. I, I told my girlfriend and the first thing she said, she's what are we gonna do with what are we gonna do with Max? And I'm like, Max, what am I going to do? Like, you know, <laughs> I got to move to like in two hours.
3: Max, to clarify, is Isaiah's dog, uh, an English bull terrier. Sam Presti called Isaiah and basically said, how soon can we get you here?
5: So I'm like thinking, I'm like, man, I got my dog here. I got my brother here. Like I need to pack. So it's very stressful. Like the next three hours of just me just packing, figuring out what I'm going to do with my dog and drove to Oakland City.
3: Isaiah bought the suit, by the way, and he's now a crucial part of the Thunder's young core. He's seen starting opportunities this season, and he's playing over 20 minutes a
4: game.
3: You know, depending on the details, the timing, and the franchise, trades aren't always clean deals. When Matt Bonner was traded, he'd committed to appear at a tournament in Moncton, New Brunswick, a pretty small city on Canada's east coast. He remembered having to individually break the news to every single fan who ended up approaching him. You know, these are fans telling him how stoked they were for the season, how much they were looking forward to watching Matt play alongside Chris Bosh. And he just had to, like, individually take them all by the hand and just say, you know, so sorry, Uh, it's not going to happen. I got traded. This is awful
2: pre-woosh bomb that's such a hard thing to do you just got traded too
3: yeah it's like something that would it just wouldn't happen now at all but like having that extra kind of emotional work and weight on a player i mean he didn't sound too put out by it but it's super weird
2: they were like oh i just bought your jersey and he's like return it
3: he probably couldn't the raptors (laughs) needed those sales at that time um (laughs) but after all that he was on his way to texas
4: I remember one of the first things Coach Pop called me, like, pretty quick. And it was like, you know, we we want you on the team. Like, we traded for you. So I I didn't really have to go through the the emotion of like, oh, this team doesn't want me, they're just trying to get rid of me. It's like, oh, it's because Spurs wanted me, you know what I mean? So that kind of made me feel good.
3: As much as these guys know that trades are a reality of being in the league, it's still a pretty big thing to reconcile and players aren't always afforded the benefit of the doubt. You know, we expect them to move out and move on without really thinking about what it feels like to have been on the inside of something as fully formed as a team, you know, to take on that entire identity and then to suddenly just be on the outs. ton also got into this.
0: It is weird and it's a weird feeling and it's a feeling of, of disrespect. You have a feeling of someone that, you know, treated you as if you didn't mean anything and weren't important enough to even be honest with. And that's how I felt about Ernie Grunfeld, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, cause he could have looked me in the eye before that.
3: For Isaiah in Dallas, his reaction was tied to wanting to prove something to the team that drafted him. Basically, that they'd made the right choice.
5: You know, they, they had belief in me, enough belief in me to, to draft me and, and to uh, put me in a position to, to be on this team. But you know, they didn't have enough belief in, in me to, to stick around and, and, you know, and, and to turn into the player that I know I could turn into. Um, and it was circumstantial, you know, they had an injury, they needed to bring somebody in that could help, you know, right then and there, and that wouldn't—that wasn't me because I was, I was still battling an injury. So it makes sense. I can't be, mad, you know, totally mad at them because at the end of the day, it is a business. They're in, the, they're in the business of winning games. But you know, for me, it was kind of like, dang, they kind of think, you know, I, I wasn't going to pay out for them.
3: And then they're settling into a new team. Is it kind of like a first day of school situation? What's it like going to a team known for complicated schemes? Does a player have to cram and prepare for those? Matt said, absolutely.
5: Oh
4: my goodness. Yeah, like back then with Coach Pop, it's not like that now. Back then he ran so many sets because we had guy so many vets and smart guys with high basketball IQs. Our playbook was like 200 plays deep. Like it was insane. And Coach Pop... It was famous for not preparing new players for that. So, like right from the first practice, he he's, he didn't go. He doesn't go over anything. We're like going through plays, and he's just calling them out. All right, I'm in the I'm in the second group. All right, I got to watch Robert Horry and Fabricio Oberto and Tim Duncan, the other bigs, so that when it's our second group's turn, I know exactly what to do. And then of course, Coach Pop would run like a whole different set of plays that you've never heard of. And say, It was like so stressful mentally. And then the, forget that. That's just offense, like the defensive schemes. He has different words for switch and deny.
2: Matt said
3: Popovich basically
2: speaks in code, too. It's kind of funny to think about Pop having a whole other language when he speaks a total of three words during halftime interviews.
3: <laughs> yeah, but that's why the timing of a trade makes such a huge difference. When you get traded in the summer like Matt did, you get to go to training camp you have time to learn Greg Popovich's encyclopedic, totally militarized schemes. But when you get traded midseason, teams are already locked into what they're doing, and they know what's working for them. So for somebody like Isaiah, that keeps you in a constant learning curve.
5: Like last year, I, I technically played on four different teams. You know, I played with Dallas, Oklahoma City, and then both of their G League teams. So, you know, I played four different styles of basketball last year. And, you know, Dallas and Oklahoma City have a very different style of play.
3: And then when does it click? That's another thing. Guys are in this blur of a trade, even if it is in the offseason. They arrive to their new city. They get thrown into things. Hearing about it, it sounds like it's that feeling where your brain hasn't fully caught up with your body yet, but you're waiting for that impending whiplash to hit you. So I wonder if there was a pinpointable moment for these guys.
4: It happened quick. I'd say I remember, like, warming up. And we're doing like our stretching. So everybody's like lined up across the baseline. And we're doing, you know, it's like high knees, down and back, uh, butt kicks, down and back. And the guy I got traded with from Toronto, Eric Williams, he just turned to me because we were both, you know, we're doing like a quad stretch and we're like looking up and down and looking at our roster because we won the championship that year, that first year. And he's like, he's like, Matt, we're going to win a championship this year, dog. And I was like, I'm looking up and down at the roster. I'm like, holy crap. Like, yeah, we might actually win a championship which is just mind blowing, you know?
3: So for Matt, going from a pretty relegated franchise at the time, like the Raptors, to an instant contender like the Spurs, it's kind of like a jackpot trade.
2: That's like being a contestant on Big Brother or something, and then Paul Thomas Anderson is like, hey, how soon can you get to Studio City? Seriously, that has to be the best case scenario for an unexpected
3: trade. Totally. And I think, like, we do get stuck into this linear language around trades being good or bad. I think that's a little bit reductive, but, and with Matt, ultimately, this is sort of in hindsight, but it still must change. Just like the tone of things for a player, there was this one moment Matt described after he'd arrived in San Antonio, he got there two weeks ahead of training camp. He thought he'd be this kind of really enthusiastic keener by getting there early, but everybody was already there working out in what sounded like a pretty Spurs level intense environment.
4: We had this huge man-made hill in the back of the practice facility. We do like all these sprints and conditioning drills up, up this hill. I don't even know how to explain it. You know, it's like August in San Antonio. I don't know if anyone's ever been to San Antonio in August.
3: I haven't, but I took Matt's word for it.
4: The heat is just a different level. And this is after weights and conditioning and drills and playing. And by then it's almost noon. So now it's like approaching a hundred degrees the first week back of working out. I'm exhausted. I'm, red hair with very pale skin. I don't do what, and I'm from New England, so I don't do well in the heat to begin with.
3: Halfway through, he starts to get lightheaded. His knees are wobbling, and all of a sudden...
4: This hand just grabs me by the jersey and starts pulling me up the hill and pulls me up to the top and slaps me, you know, slaps me on the back like, you got this. You know who that was?
3: I held my breath here, honestly, like I knew, but I just didn't want to break the spell of this memory.
4: Tim Duncan. Tim it. I mean, day one in August, all you know, right there with all the young guys going through all the workouts, just setting the tone. You talk about lead by example. It, it, you know, me, that was like my first Spurs moment.
2: After the break, Katie explores how some teams have worse trading reputations than others.
1: Wow, it's finally summer, but also like wow. How is it already summer? Either way, I'm welcoming this season with all things bedding, bath, loungewear from Brooklinen. And with their Memorial Day sale happening right now, Brooklinen's offering site-wide savings on all things comfort for this summer and beyond. Working directly with manufacturers to ensure premium comfort at a fraction of the retail price, they deliver award-winning comfort direct to your door. Stock up on all things summer comfort and shop the Memorial Day Sale now. And if you're listening to this podcast after the air date, don't worry. You can still go to brooklinen.com and use the code SPIN for $20 off your first order of $100 plus free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter promo code SPIN for $20 off your first order of $100 plus free shipping. Brooklinen. Everything you need to live your most
3: comfortable life. With the retired players I spoke to, I was curious for their perspective on what's changed and how trades get done. The consensus from Atan was that there are better and worse organizations when it comes to the help that a team will offer in getting a player settled. Both Atan and Isaiah had pretty positive experiences with OKC to that end. But at the end of the day, Atan felt like all organizations were the same in how they approach this, that it's a business that they put their interests before players.
2: I kind of hate that phrase. It's a business. I feel like it's a cop-out and it's used alongside or often used after we're a family, which are very, very different things. And it's a very fine line between it's a business and we just did a really shitty thing to you.
3: I mean, it's a catch-all, right? Like, and I think in this, I noticed players sort of used it as like a prelude or a postscript almost before after they said something pretty honest and maybe vulnerable. I've caught myself doing the same stupid thing in stories, but I think front offices tend to use it a little bit like Teflon against criticism. It's It's like a pretty handy line to operate behind.
2: And it makes me think about the Ernie Grunfield thing again, because if you're gonna do it and you're gonna say it's a business, even in businesses, bosses can be nice when they're letting you go.
3: There are franchises that try to be as nice about it as they can be. Matt had a pretty good experience coming back to Toronto for the first time. So now in the current day, Raptors game ops do these really slick montages. They'll run at the first time out when one of their players returns for the first time. And it's always extremely emotional. Uh, I've cried at uh, Amir Johnson, DeMar DeRozan's like Vince Carter. I've cried at them all and I think a lot of it is joy, but also gratitude. I can say that as a Toronto fan.
4: Chip England, one of our assistants on the Spurs, loves telling the story. The PA guy, when I checked in the game, I came off the bench for the Spurs, gave me like this huge intro, like, ladies and gentlemen, checking into the game, an honorary Canadian, your favorite, the Red Rocket. That was my nickname in Toronto. And like the whole place went nuts. And Chip England never lets me live that down. He found it hilarious.
3: There's this kind of different language around a player who's traded versus a narrative of building around a free agent. You know, how teams tend to court those guys by talking to them about what role they'll play and how they're going to help shape the future direction or the identity of a team.
0: Teams build this whole... You know, facade of being a family, and you know what I mean, and that whole thing, and you know, we we're all in this together, and everything like that. Until it comes time to trade you, then all that goes out the window.
3: Matt talked about this too.
0: I mean,
4: getting traded, to your point earlier, just changes the trajectory of your entire life, regardless of the circumstances. Just by means of getting traded, you know, what if I didn't get traded, or what if I got traded one year later, or what if I got traded to this team, or. You know, it's incredible how much that controls the, the trajectory of your life, how much that's out of your hands, basically. And you're just kind of along for the ride. I guess that's true with anything in life, but especially with something as drastic
5: as that.
3: And here's Isaiah.
5: Thankfully for me, I was able to get, I was traded from Dallas to Oklahoma City. It's not very far. I still have my brother who lives in Dallas, so he'll be able to come up and visit me. But for, for a, like a family guy, if you get traded across the country, so what are you going to do now? Are you going to move your entire family with you? Or are you going to, there's different logistical things that go into it and these all have an effect on your day-to-day life.
3: Trades can look very different and go in a ton of directions, but they all end up getting processed by the same media machine, which is a bit of a paradox.
2: I agree. And I mean, obviously you're a writer, I'm doing this show, we're part of it, but I really hate a lot of what comes because of this media attention and the narratives that are created
3: you know the way that the media reports on trades obviously can create a pretty damning narrative around it you know the coverage can get slanted you could say a player wants out that they're unhappy or even you know that they had it coming which only makes trades all the more fraught and makes players really wary to talk about trades and their experiences with them some of that is driven by the team themselves
0: well i think the media does the the dirty work of the GMs and the presidents for them a lot of times and they put out different things. So things are happening. They happen very strategically. Like when they want to lower a player's value, they might leak some things that are negative about the player. So that will lower their value. So I've seen teams create a, a trade um, interest in a player by just leaking that another team who does not have an interest and has not expressed any interest in the player may have interest in this player. I've seen it with my own eyes. I'm like, wow, they are lying. That is just a straight up lie. Or they leak out information about an injury that the player had before. You know, so, so to lower his 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 trade value or so some, or something like that. I've seen it happen.
3: It's obviously not great, but these kinds of tactics feel like a holdover from another era. I'm with Draymond on this because I do think it's something that will have to shift when players, and not just star players, start to exercise their autonomy. We tend to think of top-down changes as needing to be these huge institutional overhauls. But when I asked players who had had negative experiences with trades what or how these things could change, the answer was pretty simple. Oh, just being honest.
0: (laughs) That's simple. (laughs) Just being honest. Just being truthful. Just not lying. Regular stuff that you want in a business. You know what I mean? That's all. I can answer that very simply. Just be honest.
4: And here's Matt. That's the only time I got traded. And it was incredibly lucky. You know, I played my last, my next, my final 10 years all for the San Antonio Spurs. And I don't know if you can put a price tag on having that type of stability in this profession. You know, if I try to put myself in someone else's shoes, imagine getting traded in the middle of the season when you have a family, you have kids in school, you own a house, like just trying to deal with all that. Uh, You know, don't feel bad for the player, feel bad for his wife and and the kids. Like, what are they supposed to do? Do they move back to like their hometown? Do they just uproot and go to the new city?
3: So Haley, my biggest takeaway from this story, it, it went a different way than I thought it was going to go because it ended up being about the sensitivity around trades and how it's a bit of a catch-22.
2: Yeah, and you're one of honestly, the most empathetic people I know. I mean, you you did a draft of basketball feelings. And I know that when you brought this story to us, it's because you wanted to change the perspective a little bit and see what this was like for players to go through, instead of just us grading what it'll be like when they're on the team.
3: Yeah. And like when I'm chasing guys to try and talk to them for this, you know, being like, you know, we're going to tell your story. I want to hear what it's like from your experience. The end result for a lot of them were just like either they're not interested or that they are sensitive about it. And to me, I'm like, but we can fix that. Like we we can make it a lot better. But at the end of the day, they're just they're in this position because of the way trades have been treated for pretty much their whole careers.
2: Yeah, and so many of them have been burned. I mean, not just the stories we heard today, but it's it's not super uncommon for someone to be like, "I found out," you know, like through a text, or I found out all kinds of ways that are pretty disrespectful on Twitter from Woj.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it wasn't just like younger guys or these kinds of these players we consider to be, you know, almost like mercenary style players who get traded a lot. You'd think that that might. Smooth the experience out for them a little bit. You know, aton told me that when Shaq got traded from the Lakers, it ended up being one of Shaq's kids who saw the news on a TV ticker. And aton was like,
2: he was so shocked by that because he was like,
3: but you're Shaq.
2: I'd have to think that's probably the most high-profile person to ever find out from a TV ticker.
3: You know, Aton had said that as much as he was like, I hope you get players to talk about this because – This is something that people need to know about. Another interesting thing was that he said, you know, when guys get together, they all have these trade stories, you know, that they might be kind of nervous to start sharing them. But once the first person does, it's like dominoes or like a snowball effect, you know, and I didn't I don't want to be totally dramatic, but I do feel like it's the same thing we see with a lot of life altering events for people. When they just kind of want to share these traumatic things that have happened to them, you know, that story only sort of stays singular and maybe something to be a bit self conscious about until it's shared. And then you think, well,
2: wait a second, like this has happened to all of us. I think it's important for us to remember that this is a life altering event and more than just something you see the next day on a blog that you're grading A through F. You can't just dismiss what it might do to you to have to uproot your entire life just because. normal thing people say which is like oh well they are making millions of dollars and so it doesn't matter i think we can say that they're people and it matters to them
3: yeah absolutely and you know my hope and kind of echoed in the sentiment and the experience of the players i spoke with is that if we can slow down our own interpretation of the trades then maybe we can toss a wrench into this whole cannibalizing engine of the trade machine as we know it currently no, you know, these are whole lives shifting on a dime and a lot more complicated than just the speculative exercise of matching salaries. Katie, thank you so much
2: for sharing the story with us. This has been so wonderful.
3: Thanks so much for having me uh, and letting me get pretty emotional about this.
2: That is why our show exists, is to get emotional together. Katie, where can people find you?
3: You can find me on Twitter is probably the easiest place uh, to read what I write. Uh, I'm whatevs, W-T-E-V-S. You can also subscribe to Basketball Feelings on Substack.
2: And before we go, actually, I have to know what happened to Isaiah's dog, Max? Oh,
3: yeah, Max. Yeah. I, I'm glad you asked about that because I was wondering what happened to Max, too.
5: Uh, so Max Max stayed in Dallas, my brother, for a few days and then uh, my girlfriend's family. So I didn't get to see Max for a couple of months. You know, that, that was also kind of tough. It's like going from seeing, you know, having my dog with me every day to living in a hotel, just, just me. You know, it was kind of that was tough too. And i you know, I'm glad to have him back. My girlfriend and, and my dog are both with me now, so that makes that makes coming home after a loss a lot a lot easier.
2: Oh, that's good. <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh, I'm so happy you guys brought back Max. I was really (laughs) concerned at what happened to Max. That was a real life worry I had. So thank you so much for, for calming my nerves. Katie had to bring it full circle, so I appreciate that as well. Jordan, what did you take away from this story? I learned so much. First, I feel like all of my questions were answered from the top of this is, There is a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes that nobody knows. Um, Also, you can't trust anybody. And that, you know, like I always say, basketball players are people too. Like, they have feelings, they have lives, you know, they have families that all of this is affecting. So I just want us to all think about that when we're continuing these trade talks throughout the week.
2: So your takeaways are, we should be more considerate of the players when we're having these conversations and that Mm -hmm. all trust issues are legitimate. Yes, I have to agree. I honestly have to agree. And I hope that we are all keeping this in mind as we read all the trade reactions from last week. And please, everybody, let's keep poor Victor Oladipo in our thoughts as he has to learn entirely new schemes going down to Miami.
1: Well, that's our show. Please leave us your trade feelings. Are you happy? Are you sad? We're here for you. Tell us everything. Leave us your very valid opinions on our voicemail at 502-874-4453 or send us an email at spinsters at bluewirepods.com to be featured on the show.
2: This episode of Spinsters was written and reported by Katie Heindel and hosted by me, Haley O'Shaughnessy, and Jordan Liggins. Our editors are Alex Ward and Isabel Jocelyn, with production by Alex, Isabel, and Jordan. Our production coordinator is Devin Shepherd, and our executive producers are Peter Moses, John Yales, and me. Hi, my name is Marissa. I'm calling in from Berkeley, California. And my NBA confession is that my favorite part of the game is stuff balls. I keep a thread trying to document every duck ball that I see, and I am intensely disappointed that I haven't seen one in over 30 games. That's all I got. Bye-bye.